fire is, you know, we've always considered it a spirit, you know, it's a very ancient, powerful spirit. And uh, we need to respect it for what it is. It is a spirit and we need to uh, also to honor it. Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leo Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is at its core, a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Each week we have wonderful conversations with great guests from a whole lot of different backgrounds. Policymakers, healers, artists, content creators, you name it. We talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And it all kind of centers around this big point of purpose in our lives. And here we go again. How are you doing, Leah? I'm doing well. Nothing is wrong. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I am dealing with a nasty wasp bite. That is a good topic of conversation, but I'm actually more interested in talking about um, <laughs> the wildfires from Canada. That's right. Is, are creating just like a ton of smoke up in Northern Minnesota, and Mm -hmm. it looks like um, Western Minnesota too. And it's just awful. Like the the visibility is low and it just smells like campfire outside, which is so eerie and strange for there not actually being a campfire (laughs) outside. Sure. This has happened now a couple of times. And before it, it just smelled like I had been, like we had a maybe a problem with our fireplace or something in our house. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it does make it hard to breathe. <clears throat> I don't know if you can tell, but I kind of have a little raspy in the old yeah. voice box here. And it's just kind of irritating. And so I can't imagine what it must be like, you know, closer to the flames and fires and stuff like that. Yeah, I know they restricted travel to parts of like the boundary waters and things like that due to the, mm-hmm. the wildfires here in the cities. I think the most we get is like a little bit of, you know, you can see it like further down the horizon. Um, like it's hazy. And then mm-hmm. also the moon has a slight, you know, reddish hue to it. I've noticed, mm-hmm. but also my allergies have spiked, of course. So, mm-hmm. um, got that. <clears throat> uh, which brings us to our topic of conversation today, because we will be talking to a retired wildland firefighter who's also a visual storyteller, Vern Northrup, Fond du Lac band member. So yeah, I'm really excited to talk to him. I have had some conversations with him before for different programs that I work on. His photography is really wonderful and it shows a lot of elements and life of uh, the environment. I definitely can't wait to you know ask him about the photography because I know he. Well, spoiler alert! I know he he does it all on his uh, phone, but he you know makes he produces these great pictures. So I'm I'm just curious to see his process or to hear about his process. So let's welcome Vern Northrup to the program. Buju Vern. Morning. Buju Vern, could you please in, introduce yourself and uh, where you're joining us from? Hello, everyone. My name is Vern Northrup. I live on the Fond du Lac Reservation. I live in the village of Sawyer, uh, Guaba Aganing. I'm a 
68-year-old retired wildland firefighter. Cool. How have you been doing, Vern? Nice to see you again. Doing well. Kind of busy. Getting getting towards uh, ricing season, so been out checking the lakes a lot. Yeah, and how are they doing? It's growing. We're going to have rice, but we have real low water. Mm, right. Yeah, real low water, and uh, so it's going to be kind of a chore, you know, to get it. In some places where it was so thick last year that the seed grew on the old mat. Mm -hmm. So that rice there is coming up real short compared to the rest of the rice. And it's turning yellow, so it's, you know, it's getting scalded by the sun. Mm. And we're smoked in up here. I don't know if you guys are too. I am, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Coal's in the cities, so a little less so. Yeah. So we've talked before, Vern, about, um, you know, you're a retired wildland firefighter. Um, and you've talked about that you have this kinship with fire. What are you thinking now with with what's happening um, with the fires in Canada and and being able to smell that smoke where you are? You know, uh, fire is, you know, we've always considered it a spirit, you know, it's a very mm-hmm. ancient, powerful spirit. And mm-hmm. uh, right now, with the way the, the earth has been drying out and uh, with the higher temperatures where the trees are stressed out, um, I like to think of it as a cleansing fire, but it is pretty destructive for, you know, there's uh, people in homes in the way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to continue like this for a while. I mean, until we change a lot of things, but uh, this is going to accelerate. It's going to it's going to be a yearly event to be smoked in here, you know, because of the prevailing winds. The, the spirit in itself, uh, fire, I was... We need to respect it for what it is. It is a spirit, and we need to uh, also to honor it. I think we need to uh, get more voices in here to try to change this climate crisis we're in now. Mm-hmm. We need a we need a lot of voice. In fact, worldwide, we're seeing weather anomalies now that haven't been seen in seven eight hundred years. You know, with this drought, one of the things that worries me about Northern Minnesota is when we go into fall and we get our first frost, all this vegetation is going to be set up for a a real fire, real fire behavior here in Minnesota, Mm. like happened in 1918. Mm. That was a fire that came in through a drought and then became so explosive that it, you know, it took a lot of lives. And what does that frost have to do with that? That frost, it's going to kill off what green vegetation you have. Uh, And then you're going to have more fuel, of course. But right now I'm thinking with the fuel, uh, the fuel moisture, that it's already explosive here with the, you know, the fires are turning out. Mm -hmm. They had one locally here. It took them two days to catch it or just to make sure it was out. By you and on Fond du Lac? Uh, It was in Esco, not far from here. But yeah. luckily in Fond du Lac, we haven't had any fires yet. Yeah. Okay. Mm. It sounds like you're pretty busy. I know you said right when we got on, you know, that you're busy. And I, yeah. if I didn't believe it then, I believe it now. <laughs> it's uh, it's a good busy, though. You know, it was, it was mm-hmm. before it was, uh, you know, I was all over the place when I was fighting fire. So mm. I was pretty, pretty busy then, but I was never home. Mm. I was going to ask, did you travel? Did you travel oh, I, out west? Did you travel? I traveled quite a bit, quite extensively, and all uh, 
around the country fighting fire on the East Coast, on the West Coast, mm. and fighting fire in Minnesota. And also I was, I was one of, did a lot of prescribed fire too. So we would uh, get a module together of five engines and then we'd go around each reservation and do all their prescribed fires. That was that was pretty fun, you know, I mean, getting to work with all those different bands and tribes. And working with the BIA, you know, we'd work with a lot of tribes all over the country, you know, going into Browning, Montana, or else into uh, Pine Ridge, or down in Oklahoma, or the Seminole, Miccosukee. It was fun. Get, then you get to know all those different cultures. If you hang around them for a couple of weeks, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I loved it when I would hear their origin stories, the origin stories from like the Seminole. I heard uh, one time I was talking to an older gentleman down there and he was talking, I asked him about the hurricanes and he goes, oh, the hurricanes. Yeah. He said there, you know how that hurricane starts? I said, no. He says, it's a bug way off the coast of Africa and it starts swimming in a circle and that circle just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the time that current it hits the surface the wind takes that and starts doing that rotation and that's how he said that's how they came about and i'm like this must be a really old story that he's telling me you know that people have thought of you know hundreds and or thousands of years before and he made it so simple you know <laughs> <laughs> he was the last dugout canoe maker on the Seminole Reservation. I forgot his name. I think his last name was Tiger. But that was, he was really cool, interesting to talk to. Every day I'd drive by there, his house, and I'd see smoke. Then I'd see him out there and, you know, what he was doing. He was burning out a cypress log. He'd light it on fire and then he'd, after it burned down so deep, he'd put out the fire and then he'd chop out all that ash. It was amazing to watch him, you know, like thinking about, you know, watching him and then how we made canoes out of birch bark. Wow. So I bet like as you traveled around then you'd get to hear not just origin stories mm-hmm. or uh, but also like see the relationship with fire. Right. Through other cultures too. Mm-hmm. The indigenous folks always had a relationship with fire, you know, throughout throughout history. You know, there was over they counted over seven hundred uses of fire that the indigenous used to shape their environment for, you know, anywhere everything from food or, you know, killing bugs or killing other, you know, people. But it's been such an old tool for us. But that's, uh, that took, you know, thousands of years for them to understand how this, you know, fire worked and shaped their environment and nurtured the ground and, you know, all those things. And we did a lot of blueberry burns. And I was just out looking at by the lake where they did a burn there last spring. And, uh, I helped write that plan about 20 years ago for that same burn. So they're using the same plan. And uh, I was glad to see that, you know, the idea for prescribed fire and blueberries is you want more sunlight. So you want to kill a lot of the brush and uh, the overhead trees. So you want to kind of make it like a savanna, you know, with trees here and there. Blueberries like 90% sunlight. And uh, also when you burn like that, you're adding nutrients into the ground. So the Anishinaabe had a plan of burning it every five to seven years. Uh, so you burn it. And then second year, you, you first year, you won't have blueberries. But second year, you'll have blueberries. And third year, you'll really have a lot of blueberries. Fourth year, they're on a decline. And then the fifth year, you hit them with fire again. And then if you take a different plot every year, 
say five big plots, and then you're guaranteed blueberries every single year. Like a rotation? Right, exactly. And that's, you know, Shinabi did that on uh, uh, Stockton Island in, in uh, the Apostle chain. I, I had the fortune to go out there with uh, the Park Service and uh, Red Cliff Band and uh, Mad River. And they noticed from photos from 1937, aerial photographs, that one part of the island was a savanna. It was all overgrown now, you know, and tree, trees are growing there. But they wanted to figure out why that was, and that's what was from the Anishinaabe burning there every year. So is that something that's still going on? Yes. In fact, they just burned it again this 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 fall or this summer. And it will continue. They're going to set it up so they can keep doing this for a number of years. Did it stop for a while? Uh, well, it stopped from 1937 up until two years ago. <laughs> well, you know, mm-hmm. because in 1910, you know, because when they had all huge fires out west, it became the national norm of all fire is bad. But now we're seeing, what we're seeing now is a result of that management plan. Mm-hmm. Our forests are overgrown, they're diseased, they're, you know, they're people living in the middle of the forest and, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. And today we are speaking with Vern Northrup, visual storyteller and retired wildland firefighter. He's also a citizen of the Fond du Lac Band. Well, let's talk a bit about your visual storytelling then. I know you do have some work that does highlight your relationship with fire, relationship with environment, um, and all of that stuff. So can you just give us an overview of what you do? My photography is like when I present it in an exhibition form, I I like for it to tell a story. I like for it to have flow to it, you know, so it, as it brings you through the, the plants and the uh, uh, seasons that we're talking about. So I noticed uh, something that comes up in your work a lot is uh, a word, Ojibwe word called okinomage. Um, I might be mispronouncing it, but could you talk about that? It's uh, teaching, teachings of the from the earth. You know, we we gain our knowledge from it. We gain we there's so much we gain from directly from the earth as as uh, people. You know, it was our everything. It was uh, it gave us our food, our clothing, our shelter, our warmth. Mm-hmm. You know, in the winter, so everything came from there. It taught us how to be people, how to live with this live you know within our environment we'll always be learning from the earth always it'll go on forever because there's so much to learn you know it's a very ancient spirit and uh one of the first spirits so yeah thank you um and actually uh lee and i were discussing uh the fact that you know we found out that you take most of the pictures on an iphone or a smartphone and we were very impressed by that like how how do you you know use such a an instrument to get these great images and like how, how do you recognize these things that you want to capture i attribute it to the well the creator gave me the eye you know where i pick up my subjects so i can only you know thank the creator for giving me that gift the cameras the phones i use are you know they're they have very small megapixels so you know 10 12 14 but uh after a while i learned to you know manipulate it. 
I don't manipulate my photos at all. I don't Photoshop or anything, but I've learned to use the phone in different ways to uh, make it make the pictures turn out. And I have digital cameras, but I don't like carrying all that equipment around, the tripods, the filters, you know, lens, batteries, <laughs> goes on and on, you know? Yeah. I totally understand. <laughs> I know I like, I love doing audio work, but just the most simple thing, like small task cam or something like that, as long as you can get it done and yeah, it's yeah. not like a burden to bring around, then I think, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a good tool. <laughs> I'm sure you've, you know, had enough experience carrying heavy equipment around, you know, just doing the firefighting. <laughs> All we did was carry things on our back. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> we talked a little bit about it, but um, how you present then in person with your photography is that you get your photos printed onto metal Right, right. I, I, um, early part of my, you know, my first uh, exhibitions, I was printing them on foam, you know, just to they'd put them on foam or, uh, yeah, kind of backing. And then I was invited to partake in this uh, collaborative exhibition with a lot of nationally known Native uh, uh, artists around here. So I had to, uh, I had to come up with something to make my photography stand out. So that's what I chose. I chose, I seen them uh, in, the, in the, uh, the store there and I'm like, I wonder if mine would work. And they did. And I haven't looked back. I keep, I keep using that as my, my canvas, to, so to speak. Or I'm going to try some glass here soon, uh, see what that looks like. But I love the way... Uh, the pictures look on the metal that make them stand out like you're looking out a window or something. They really pop. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Vern Northrup, visual storyteller and retired wildland firefighter. So we were talking a bit when you got on the phone here or on the call here, Vern, about checking on the wild rice beds. And I know in some of your work, you're sharing those images of ricing and rice. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that as, we, as we're kind of thinking and gearing up for wild ricing season? To me, it's the whole reason why we're here, you know, and, I, uh, and that gift that was given to us was uh, so powerful, you know, that uh, it, gives us, it gives us life, you know, just like, everything we take in and uh it's good for us you know it keeps us healthy and i was always amazed about how many plants that the anishinaabe considered food you know mm. and i wonder how many over the years it took them to realize that it was nutritious and good for them mm. and I'm like who did the first taste testing and things like that you know mm -hmm. but uh i'm part of a uh what's called a collective here on the reservation, the rice chiefs, and we keep an eye on the lakes and we, you know, we get together before the season and we decide how many boats will be coming on and who can rice on the lakes. All of our lakes here on the reservation are, well, except for one is they're all non-motorized. So it's all strictly canoes, but I'm honored to be on part of that collective of, of uh, different people there to be considered one of the rice chiefs. Uh, it's uh it's a great honor, in fact. 
I like the way our natural resources does things uh, uh, as far as taking care of the the environment and the, our, our lakes and things like that. I got a lot of respect for those folks. So is the rice chiefs then a part of the Department of National Re- Natural Resources? Well, we're, you know, we're just an advisory. Uh, we don't get paid or anything. It's just an advisory position. And we try to use, you know, what little knowledge we have as far as setting up the lakes and setting them up for how many we're going to allow, how many boats we're going to allow and when. And yeah, it's a great honor to be part of that. My father, my father was one. Did he teach you, you know, the whole process? Well, we kind of grew up with it. You know, it's, uh, it was part of us. You know, when I was younger, I was seven, eight years old, I'd be walking down the road past my grandfather's house and he'd motion me into the yard. And I got closer, he'd throw some old tennis shoes at me. That's, I knew what that it was for. I had to dance on the rice for him. <laughs> so <laughs> he had some old kids, you know, high tops. And that was back in the 50s, late or 60s. And he didn't use moccasins. Those beards on the rice will go right through a moccasin. So you had official yeah, they shoes had, then uh, to dance the on rubber, the rubber. Yeah, <laughs> but they would. Uh, when they would dance on it, they would use moose moose hide, mark, put liners in their moccasins. So, yeah. Otherwise, they'll go right through a deer hide. You know. Great. Thank you for sharing that. So, Vern, I know you have some projects coming up, including a work called "The Wisdom of Trees." Can you talk a little bit about that? Give us a little intro. What I would like to do is I'd like to, you know, we'll name all of the, the species there within, you know, the tri-state here. And then we'll uh, have them, of course, named in Ojibwe too. But then we'll go through all of the parts of the trees starting at the top, and naming all the parts in Ojibwe all the way down to the roots. And so with all those photos, I figured I'm going I'm to need about 140 photos for this mm. book. And I, I've been collecting photos for it, you know, for a couple of years now. So I'm getting there. I just love that concept, the wisdom of trees. Um, I think it hits on so many things that that we as people experience too. Um, connection, you know, uh, sentience, yep. <laughs> um, breathing, breath, right. drinking, water, all of those things. Yep. So it's really beautiful. I can't wait to to see it when it comes out. And the different things, you know, that they host, like the fungi and things like that, that that benefit us or we can eat, you know. There's so much to them that, you know, they're finding ways of that they communicate with each other over distances and how they support each other, nurture each other, you know. um, Like the white pine that were cut down at the turn of the century, there's a lot of... uh, yellow pine or yellow yellow birch growing out of a lot of those stumps. So the stump is still feeding, you know, feeds that that young, that young uh, yellow birch and keeps it alive and supports it until it can grow on its own and then it drops away, of course. I've had a birch seed land in one of my tree, in my pine trees, about 12 feet up and it grew and subsequently, that pine died because of, you know, just old age. And uh, so I had to cut it, parts of it down because it was going to fall on my house. But now that birch is uh, about 30 feet tall. And about from 10 feet up, it's nothing but root that's growing through the center of that pine tree. So it's kind of cool. You know, I, my own experiment in my yard here. <laughs> what? 
Really? Yeah. It's, uh, so it like the root is rooting through. It went all the way through. And yeah, it's from about 10 feet up, 12 feet up. Mm. It went all the way through. And now there's trees starting to break apart and fall apart. You look inside and you can see the roots, the taproot, the main taproot. Wow. Yeah. See, that's <laughs> wisdom right there. That's wise. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. like... But it's, you know, it's still supporting it and it's still nurturing it, you know, and it, it feeds, it probably feeds its sugars, you know, through the root system, mm-hmm. the pine root mm-hmm. system. So, yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. We all stand on the backs of our ancestors and they provide for us and it kind of gives me that whole vibe too. Yeah, exactly. I actually also had another uh, reaction to one of your uh, tree videos. I'm not sure if it's involved in uh, in this uh, project, but it was just that shot of looking up at the trees swaying. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, there's something about that. It, it, it always, it's so beautiful. And I, when I, you know, when I'm hunting or doing something out in the woods and looking up at the trees, I always think of, you know, the ancestors before us who have, you know, looked up as well. And it just, I don't know, it gives me, gives me some calm, gives me a peace. I don't, I was just, yeah, just a random thought. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's true. You know, when I, when I go through the woods and I, I was just out there this morning and I was thinking, you know, I could see why our ancestors settled here. It's so beautiful here. Mm. You know, it's, uh, they, they, they found a paradise when they came here, you know, they offered so much, the land offered so much to them. I'm like, I'm very fortunate, you know, that they stayed here. Very much so. Very much so. But I'm sure the indigenous in the Southwest think theirs is really, but it's <laughs> <laughs> not, not, near, not near enough trees for me down there. No. <laughs> you can see really far out there. Mm. Yeah, if you drive by something, you're still looking at it 20 minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a place where people can find your work, you know, online or whatever? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Right now, my uh, Akina Maj uh, exhibition is going on at uh, the Rife Performing Arts Gallery in Grand Rapids. Nice. And later on this fall, it's going to be at the Edge Gallery in Big Fork. But uh, and then uh, next spring, the exhibition will go to St. Cloud, the Wit Gallery in St. Cloud. So this, it's kind of, I'd never dreamed that this would be a traveling exhibition. But it's been on the road for a number, a couple of years now. So, well, except for during the COVID, then all of them came back home here and they all cluttered up my living room for a year. Very good. Miigwech for your perspective today and your, your stories and just sharing with us. I appreciate it so much. Miigwech. Take care now. All right. Gigawabaman. Gigawabaman. I learned a lot of stuff about fire this, uh, this episode, and I'm glad he you know, shared you know, some of the cultural uh, you know, meanings around fire t- today and, you know, course because it's a big such a big topic right now with the canadian wildfires and stuff like that so it's good to get that perspective absolutely his work is available for purchase through the duluth art institute especially his book and he's got that other book that'll be coming up later i'm not sure that there's a a drop date yet but you can definitely find a kinomage or a kinomage um, teaching from the earth through the Duluth Art Institute. So thank you to Vern Northrup. Yes, Vern Northrup is 
a citizen of the Fond du Lac Band. He's a visual storyteller and retired wildland firefighter. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lam. Miigwech for listening. Gigawapamin. Gigawapamin. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, wherever you find podcasts, and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org.